Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So welcome back to the resumed Rashi Shir after the summer break, summer for those in the Southern Hemisphere. And we got last time to the beginning of Hamishi in Parshat Noach, which is Perak Tet Pasuk Chet. And that's where we're going to start from tonight. And what we're going to cover, actually this, this Aliyah of Hamishi is very nice and self-contained. It's talking, Hashem talking to Noach, about the Brit that he's made with him and the Keshet, the rainbow, which is going to be a sign of the Brit. But before we do that, we do have to just jump back to Perichet Pasuk Kaf Aleph because this is a crucial Pasuk to make the rest of it relevant in Rashi's eyes anyway. Um, in Perichet Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Noah has come out of the Teva and he's offered the Korban. And the result of that is, Vayarach Hashem et Reach Hanichoach, Hashem smelt the nice smell, Vayoma Hashem el libo. And Hashem said to Hashem's heart, Lo osif lekalel od et ha'adama, I will not continue to curse the ground, ba'avoh ha'adam, ki yetze lev ha'adam ramina arav, because of man, because the inclination of the heart of man is bad from his youth. We're not going to talk about that. And then the passage continues, Velo osif od lahakot et kolchai ka'asher asiti. And I will not continue anymore to smite all living things as I have done. And Rashi, crucially, on that pasuk says, on the words, Lo osif velo osif, kafel hadavar l'shvu'ah. The repetition makes it into a shvu'ah, an oath. And then he goes on to say, And that's what's written in Yeshaya, Asher nishbati me'avor me'noach, which I made an oath on across the waters of Noach. And we don't actually find any Shavuah except this Pasuk, which Rashi's explained as referring to a Shavuah. Okay, that's enough. Let's go back to Perik Tet Pasuk Chet. <coughs> so on Pasuk Chet, Rashi has nothing to say, but we'll read it anyway. Elohim said to Noach and to his sons with him, saying, Va'ani hinani meikim et briti itchem ve'et zarachem acharechem. So literally, and I, behold I, establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. So Rashi says on the words, va'ani hinani, maskim ani imacha. I agree with you. Now, why does Rashi have to say this? Why is Rashi saying, I agree with you? Now, it could be because of the word va'ani. Actually, there's three possibilities, to be honest. It could be because of the verb, it could be because of the ani, because it could, it could be the hinani. Each one of them could be understood as a response to something. I, behold I, what does it mean, behold I? You're doing something, therefore I do something in response. Because we could have managed without at least one of those words. Uh, I say at least one, because different Mephoshim of Rashi explain that the Rashi is responding to the presence of different possibilities. But it's either the or the ani or hinani we could have managed without. So Rashi says Hashem is speaking in response to something. So I agree, I agree with you. Now what does he agree? Shahaya noeg noach, sorry, doeg la'asog v'piruvya v'rivya. Noach was afraid to get engaged in reproduction. 
until Hashem promised him that Hashem would not destroy the world anymore. And we'll just pause there for a moment. Now, how do we know that Noah was worried about engaging in reproduction? Because we've learned this already. If you go back to Chet Tet Zayin, <coughs> Hashem said to Noah, Say min hateva ata ve'ishtacha uvanecha unisheva itach. Go out from the teva, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Now, every time they go in or out of the teva, it's in that sort of formulation, but it changes sometimes. Sometimes it's you and your sons and your wife and your wife's and your sons' wives. Here, it's you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. And Rashi there says on Tet Zion, Chet Tet Zion, Ish ishto, male and female, man and wife, Kamo hitir, sorry, Khan hitir lahem tashmishamita. So here he had permitted to them sexual relations, which when they went into the Teva, Hashem said to them that you go in, uh, men together, like the Noach and his sons, wife and wives, because they were forbidden to have sexual relations in the Teva. And now Hashem is giving them the permission to do so, because they've come out. However, if you look in Pasuk Yudchet, Chet Yudchet, what happened? Vayetze Noach uvanav, Noah came out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. He didn't get the memo. And Rashi actually doesn't comment there, but he comments elsewhere. In fact, he comments here where we're looking, tet, tet, to say that Noah didn't want to engage in relations with his wife because he was still worried that Hashem was going to destroy the world. So, now, putting all this together, Rashi has noticed that Noah came out of the Teva, contrary to the way Hashem told him to come out of the, out of the Teva. According to Rashi's own explanation, the focus of the change is whether sexual relations are permitted. Hashem said yes, but Noah apparently said no. And that is why Hashem now has to say, Hinani, behold I, in response to your concerns, I am going to establish my covenant with you. Okay, so that's Rashi here in Pasuk Tet. And then Rashi carries on with the words, V'chein asa, and so he did. So Hashem promised to not destroy the world, as Noah had asked him to. And then Rashi says, Uba and later on, Amarlo, he said to him, that's here, Hinani maskim la'asod kiyum v'chizuk brit l'havtachti v'etein l'cha'ot. Behold, I agree to do, to make a kiyum, an establishment, and a strengthening of the covenant of my promise, and I, I will give you a sign. So, according to Rashi, uh, at least until we give a slightly different interpretation of Rashi's own words, Hashem has already promised not to destroy the world. So then we go back to say, well, so what's Noah's problem? So Noah's problem is he's not sure, but Hashem really means it. So that's why Hashem now has to say, I've already given you a Brit, but now I'm being Mekim, if you'll pardon the yeshivish. I'm being Mekim, which means I am establishing the Brit. And Rashi says, what does that mean? Rashi adds the word Vechizuk. I'm giving extra strength to the Brit. You might have doubted that I was going to actually keep my promise. And that has to be the case, because why is Noah worried when Hashem's already promised? So the Brit needs a Kiyom, 
And as the Pasuk says, and Rashi adds, a chizuk. Now, by the way, there is a different girsa. Uh, the Nachalat Yaakov um, puts v'chein asa and achrona together. V'chein asa achrona. What difference does that make? That means that Noah wanted a promise, and Hashem did it in the end. And without going into the whole uh, explanation that the Nachalat Yaakov gives, what he understands is Hashem didn't verbalize to Noah the promise to not destroy the world. If you go back to Chet Kaf Aleph, there's actually a good clue that supports this position. This is where we looked at earlier. Hashem said to his heart. What does it mean to his heart? To himself. Now Rashi doesn't comment. So, so Rashi doesn't make an issue of this. So we can read it either way. The standard girsa in our Rashi in Tet Tet is to say, full stop. Noah wanted a promise and he'd already given a promise. And now, and later on, he said to him, I'm going to strengthen the promise. That's probably the more usual way of reading it. According to another opinion, and this is going to be relevant later as well, you can read it differently, that Noah wanted a promise. And Hashem gave him the promise in the end, but he hadn't given him the promise before. Okay. Everyone with us? Oh, let's move on to Pasuk Yud. What's the sign? Sorry, right? Oh, we haven't got there yet. Okay. It's coming. Yeah? It's got, no, spoiler. It's a rainbow. <laughs> Pasuk Yud. So he said, I'm making the covenant, I'm establishing the covenant with you and your descendants. And then the list goes on. Ve'et kol nefesh hachaya asher itchem, and all, let's leave it untranslated, but something to do with some uh, livestock, which are with you. Ba'of babahema, in birds and in beasts, u'bechon chayat ha'aretz itchem, and all, something to do with livestock of the land with you. Mikol yodzei ha'teva, from amongst all that came out of the teva, l'chol chayat ha'aretz, for all, now, I've perhaps given you a clue what the problem is in this verse by my failure to translate the phrases. What's the problem? Okay, what's, what's it all mean? Now, I'm always nervous about saying this is a straightforward Rashi, but it doesn't do a harm. I think it's always nice to know that Rashi is not always incredibly complicated, although one can always find extra levels of complication. But I think one can interpret this Rashi on Pasuk Yud as a straightforward Rashi. He's explaining the apparent superfluity and the extra cases that are in this pasuk. There are various groupings of animals, and we want to know what they all are. Hashem could have said, all the animals. But he didn't. He broke them down into different subsets. So what are those subsets? And that's what Rashi does on Pasuk Yud. So the first one is, Chayat Ha'aretz Itchem. So there's Chayat Ha'aretz, which are Itchem. And at the end, there's Chayat Ha'aretz, which are not Itchem. Remember that. So what is Chayat Ha'aretz Itchem? Haim hamitchalchim im habriot. They're the ones that go with the creation, i.e. with people. They're the ones that are friendly with humans. Now, there's a dispute amongst the Mephoshim, what exactly is it? Is that the tame animals or is it animals in general? Either way, it's the animals that are like accompany humans. And then he says, mikol yotze ha-teva, all the comings out of the teva, Lahavi shakatsim v'ramasim. That includes the loathsome things and the creepy crawlies. Now, why aren't they included in Chayata Aretz Itchem? Because creepy crawlies, you don't keep as pets. 
and you don't, they don't walk with you. If you're walking through the farmyard, maybe a cow is walking by your side, but a lizard is not. So that's why the Yotzei Ateva is a different category. It's not the ones that are itchem. And then, Chayat Haaretz. Now, what is Chayat Haaretz? Because we've already had one version of Chayat Haaretz. So Rashi says, Lahavi Hamizikin. To include, now Mizikin can be understood in two ways. To, it simply means those who damage, Hezek. Now, that could mean, and some say it means the big animals that are scary, lions, tigers, you don't normally walk with them because they're going to bite your head off. But they're included because they're included. However, the Gemara usually uses the word mazikin in a much more particular sense, namely the, the shadim, um, the demons. We don't really understand what they are. They're, they're small, they're invisible, there's lots of them. The Gemara tells us about that all the time. Some people want to say the Gemara is talking about germs. Uh, I'm not sure if that's too clever. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I don't... Uh, it's an interesting idea. Anyway, so it could be that Rashi means what Mazikin usually means in the words of Chazal, namely um, the Shadim, or it could mean, and I think this is the Maharal, who says animals that damage you. But either way, we've, include, we've explained what the different categories are. And Rashi says, let's just finish off, Lehaviha Mazikin, Chayat Haaretz includes the Mazikin, She'einon bichlal ha'chaya asher itchem, they're deliberately excluded, I mean, they're explicitly excluded from the animals which are with you, she'ein haluchan im habriot, because they don't walk with people. As opposed to, if you look at Rashi's words at the beginning, he said explicitly, chayata aretitchem, heim hamit halchim im habriot. And then the last category, the chayata aret, which are not itchem, are those she'ein haluchan im habriot who don't walk with people. So Rashi very nicely and very neatly tells us that this Pasuk, in its various degradations, is referring to all parts of the animal kingdom. Pasuk Yud Aleph. V'hakimoti et briti itchem, v'lo yikaret kol basar od mimei hamabur. I will establish my covenant with you, and uh, all flesh will not be wiped out anymore from the waters of the flood, and there will not be any more flood to destroy the world. Okay, says Rashi, Hakimoti, I will make a kiyum, an establishment to my covenant, and what is this establishment? That's what's coming next. The sign of the rainbow. Um, as will be concluded and continue. In other words, as we'll see next. Now, what is this idea when Rashi says, umahu kiyumo? What is the kiyum? And the answer, it's the keshet. He's talking about the linking, uh, or more than that, <coughs> between this verse and what comes next. Now, Rashi sometimes does this. In fact, he does it quite often. You know, verse A is followed by verse B. And you might read them as two separate things. And Rashi will say, this thing that occurs in verse A, what is it referring to? Ah, it's referring to verse B. And he's telling you thereby that they're to be read as a single unit. Uh, or to put it another way, and I think this is what he's doing here, Pasuk Yud Aleph is the introduction to Pasuk Yud Bet. Why do we need to be told that? Why do we need to have an explanation for Pasuk Yud Aleph? Doesn't it stand by itself? And the answer is, there's nothing new in Pasuk Yud Aleph. Because what have we been promised? What, what does he say? He's going to establish the covenant. That's what he said in Pasuk Tet. And he's not going to destroy the world. That's what he said in Chet Kaf Aleph. So there's nothing new. 
Now, by the way, remember the Nachalat Yaakov? I told you that he reads that Achrona differently. And he holds that Hashem had not told to Noah that Hashem wasn't going to destroy the world. And he says this is the time he's doing it now, here in Pasuk Yudalaf. But the normative way, if you like, of reading the Rashi on Tet Tet is to say that Hashem had already given the promise to uh, Noah. So he is really repeating himself here. And the reason for that is because there's been a long gap between Pasuk Kaf Aleph, sorry, Chet Kaf Aleph, and here, Tet Yud Aleph. So we need to be reminded. And as Rashi says, we need to serve, Yud Aleph serves as the introduction to Yud Bet. Because although we've mentioned it in Rashi, the Chumash hasn't mentioned that there's going to be an Ot, a sign. That's coming in Pasuk Yud Bet. And that's introduced by Yud Aleph, which says, Vahakimoti, I'm going to establish my covenant. And that's why Rashi says, what does it mean by Hakimoti? It said, Kiyom Libriti, I'm going to make some sort of Kiyom. And what is the Kiyom? What is the establishment? It's the Ot, which is going to be mentioned in Pasuk Yudbet. And Rashi stresses, Kamosh and Messiah as we'll come across soon. I'm paraphrasing. What is the difference between Veloi Kiret Kobasar Od Mimeni and Abul and Veloi Od Nabul Like That also seems superfluous for Rashi. Which, which one? Like the fact that... Where, where are you looking? The New Dollar, sorry. And the other one? Oh, it's both, in, both in New Dollar. It just seems like a double, like the same phrase twice. Uh, this is a good point. And Rashi... Two layers, because you can have a flood that like sweeps everyone up with like destroys what's on the land, but you can also have one that destroys actual land itself. Okay, so the, the question... This is for those who are not hearing on the podcast. The question <laughs> is, it seems in Yud Aleph that there's a repetition. Velo yukarek kobasar od mabul. The flesh won't be cut off because of the mabul. And the loya old mabul. And you're suggesting there's two types of mabul. Yeah. One would destroy... Like the people on it. The people. And then the other would like, yeah. like destroy the land itself. Okay, and the other would destroy the land itself. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Because um, there, there are two things being destroyed here. The first thing, or rather not being destroyed. The first thing not being destroyed is the all flesh, the living things. And the second thing not being destroyed is the land itself. So this is not a Rashi question. Rashi doesn't see this as a question, which, which itself is an interesting thing, but we're not learning Rashi right now. We're trying our best to learn our Chumash for ourselves. Um, it, it sounds very much, and, and there were references to uh, Rashi talked about um, the flood in the time of Enosh, um, three generations before Noah, which wiped away a third of the earth. But apparently it didn't wipe away the people. It wiped away part of the earth. And, and at the time of the flood, Rashi said, I'm going to destroy the people, the, weave the earth, etc. So, so there, there have been hints before about two levels. And it sounds like, um, as, as you say, that that's what's going on here. And he promises that neither of those levels are going to happen again. So, here comes Pasuk Yud Bet. Vayoma Elohim Zot Ot Habrit. Hashem, or rather Elohim, said, This is the sign of the covenant. Asher ani notein beini ubeineichem, which I place between me and you, ubein kol nefesh chaya asher itchem, ledorot olam, and between, or still, and with all the souls of the living souls which are with you for generations forever. So it's a rainbow, and uh, just just let's receive pasuk yud gimel et kashti natati ba'anan, my rainbow I have put in the cloud. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and between the earth. And I've just noticed 
But we have again uh, a covenant with the livestock and a covenant with the earth, which perhaps um, strengthens the way we try to explain Pasuk Yodalov and everything else we've seen. So, what does Rashi say about the uh, rainbow? Nothing. What does Rashi say about Ladorot Olam? The end of Pasuk Yudbet. He says, Nichtav Chaser. It is written lacking. Now, which word is written lacking? What's the problem here? Presumably, and I say presumably because there are different views, Ladorot. How would you normally spell Ladorot? How many Vavs? Okay, interesting question. Usually, Dalad Vav, Resh Vav, Taf. Anyway, Rashi doesn't make absolutely clear what is missing, but something's missing. And the answer is, Shiyesh, sorry, the reason for this, and by the way, sorry, I should pause a minute. Rashi's going to bring a Midrashic explanation. Uh, it's pointed out that you do find Dorot spelt without Vavs elsewhere in the Chumash, and Rashi has nothing to say in other places. And there's a principle of wherever you can darish, then you should darish. Or if it's, ne- if it's appropriate to give a drasha, then we give a drasha. And that's what Rashi is doing here. There's, an, uh, there's, there's something appropriate to say on the odd spelling of dorot, and Rashi's going to say it. And it is this. Sheyesh dorot shalo hutzrechu laot. There were generations which did not need this sign. Because they were great, they were complete tzaddikim. The generation of Chizkiyahu, normally known as Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai. That generation of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai. Now, what did you all learn in infant school about rainbows? Correct. It's bad to see one. I bet you all learned that, because it's something that is taught in Jewish primary schools. Yes, because everyone wants to say, oh, the rainbow, it's so pretty. It's the entire spectrum of light represented in a prism. Well, they don't really say that. Anyway, and, um, and, and when you see a rainbow, every child wants to say, oh, look, there's a rainbow. And the Jewish way is not to do that. I'm not saying it's forbidden. It, it's not what we do. The reason is not what we do, because the rainbow is a bad sign. The rainbow is a reminder, as we will see explicitly, to Hashem not to destroy the world, implying that had it not been for his promise not to destroy the world, then we would be checking out of the world forcibly. Um, so the fact that there's a rainbow, pretty though it is, is not a good sign. And we say a bracha on it, but that's no contradiction because the bracha we say is thanking Hashem for keeping his brick, for keeping his covenant. So a rainbow is a bad sign. It's a sign that the world deserved to be destroyed. So, says Rashi, quoting Chazal, there were times when the world didn't need rainbows because the world did not deserve to be destroyed. Because the people of those generations were such tzaddikim that they didn't need the protection of Hashem's Brit. They just merited continued existence of the world because of their merit. Now, is Rashi saying it's two generations dafka? So some want to say that that's the answer. Yes, there were two generations in history that didn't need rainbows because they had enough merit. Um, and that fits nicely if there's two vavs missing, one vav for each generation. But Rashi, I think it's better not to read Rashi like that, because Rashi says there were generations where there were Sadiqim, kamo, like. Now, like, 
the problem with this is like is a little bit um, ambiguous. Does it mean like as, as an example of, or does it mean, and this is what they were? That's why you can read it in two ways. But it's interesting that the two generations that he quotes are very different. So the first generation is the generation of Chizkiyahu. What was so great about Chizkiyahu? Well, he was great. Um, he, was, uh, he repaired the, uh, he knocked down the Avodah Zarah that, his, that other kings had brought in. He, he was a, a great, great king. Um, he nearly merited to bring Mashiach, but not quite. Um, Sancherev was destroyed in his merit. All good things happened to Chizkiyahu. But that's not the main thing the Gemara says about the generation of Chizkiyahu. They say that the entire people were on an incredibly high level. And the Gemara says, in the time of Chizkiyahu, you could search from the top to the bottom of the country and you would not find a child, male or female, who did not know, sorry for all the negatives here, you could not find a child who did not know all the laws of Tuma and Tara. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's very great significance to why Chazal chose that particular image, but the simple idea is the laws of Tuma and Tara are incredibly complicated. And for every child to know them shows that their knowledge of Torah was on a very high level. And that translates, as it should, to a great <coughs> moral uh, standing. And the whole generation was that of Sadiqim. That is not the case with the other generation that Rashi refers to, the generation of Hashem and Bayachai. The people were in a bad state, uh, learning-wise, religious-wise, persecution-wise. Where was Rabbi Yochanan Mazakia when he was doing his great stuff? In okay, I'm sorry, Shimon Bayachai. Sorry, my mistake. Rabbi Shimon Bayachai, completely different. Rabbi Shimon Bayachai, that's the one we're talking about. He was in a cave. He was cut off from the rest of society. He lived in that cave for 13 years, and he was just him and his son learning Zohar and doing cave stuff. And that was what brought merit to the generation. So it's interesting that Rashi either is saying there were two generations, or he could be saying there were two types of generations. One where everyone is righteous and the other where one person is righteous enough to protect the whole generation. Either way, in those two generations, there were no rainbows. And Rashi is, if you like, uh, feels he needs to explain the odd spelling of Lodorot and it fits with what he wants to say. So he expounds thus. Uh, Yes? Hashem only gives the Kesha as a bridge to just um, the Kone Fashchaya Asher Etchem and not the other... Dafke the other animals that aren't I'm missing out in this passage compared to Pasuk Yud. It talks about how he's going to make a covenant with everyone. And then Dafke in this passage, he just says, And it's only Yitchem that he's making a covenant with about the and in Yud, he specifically says all the animals, including those which are not itchem. And in Yud Bet, the covenant is made only with the animals asher itchem. And I haven't got an answer for that. Sorry, okay. Ian, we need further study. Well spotted. Anyone else got an answer? Yes. Uh, no, I was going to ask a different question. Okay. Um, you said this in Tzunachlochet about which, which word is chaser, what, what was missing from Olam? Um... No, sorry, it wasn't. Uh, I made a mistake. Thank you for correcting that. Yeah. Uh, um, I know what I was thinking. You could say the whole word dorot is unnecessary. It could have said, kol nefesh chaya etchem olam, or le olam. But le dorot olam, ah, I know what I was thinking. The dorot olam is an extra word 
and it's misspelt, or rather oddly spelt, and that's pushing Rashi to give a drusha for it. Okay? It's as if it's like only there for the purpose of the drusha. Which perhaps explains what I was alluding to, that it does occur elsewhere with this chaser spelling, and Rashi doesn't comment. So maybe he comments here because you don't need the word at all. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Thank you for helping me clarify. Pasuk Yud Gimel. We read very briefly earlier, but we'll put it again now in order. Et kashti natati ba'anan. My bow I have put in the cloud. od brit be'ni uvein ha'aretz. And it will be a covenant, a sign of a covenant between me and between the land. And as we said earlier, there seems to be covenant with people <coughs> and animals and covenants with the land. Now, no Rashi there, so let's go on to your Dalad. Vahaya ba'anani anan al ha'aretz v'nirata ha'keshet ba'anan. And it will be, now ba'anani anan is an odd phrase. What does it mean? In my clouds, cloud on the earth and it the Keshet will be seen in the cloud. So Rashi says, but Anani Anan, when the thought goes up before me, which is the way we say when Hashem thinks, we can't say literally Hashem thinks because that would be a bit of an anthropomorphism. So we always say when the thought goes up before him, when when the thought goes up before me to bring darkness and destruction to the world. So Pasuk Yudala is the beginning of uh, the next Pasuk as well. What's going to happen when it's in the cloud? Uh, in Tet Vav it says, for We'll carry on reading that in a moment. Um, so when it's in my cloud, I will remember my covenant. But what is it, again, Rashi's puzzled as we are by the phrase, but Anani Anan. So Rashi's explained it when the thought of choshech and destruction to the world comes before me. So ba'anani doesn't mean my cloud. <coughs> it means when I think of, I'm going to try and say it in English, when I think of clouding the world. When I think of clouding. And what is clouding, as Rashi puts it? Choshech va'avdun. So a cloud, in this sense, is a negative thing. Cloud is darkness. Um, obviously, we, we like clouds because they bring rain and we need rain. But, but that's not the context here. So anani is when I'm thinking dark thoughts, sort of. So that's how Rashi puts it. Anani is when I am thinking, that's the meaning of anani. So it's clouds in the sense of darkness. So what happens when I think those dark thoughts? Tetvav, v'zacharti et briti, then I will remember my covenant, asher beini, uh, which is between me and between you, and between all living animals. Looks like we're including the ones which are not with you. Uh, and there won't be any more waters for the flood to destroy all flesh. No Rashi. Let's go on to Tetzayim. This is the conclusion of this unit, if you like, which started uh, from Yud Gimel, and when I, th- Yudalad, when I think to destroy the world, Tetvav, I will remember my covenant. And then Tetzayin, and what will be the old that all this is happening? Vahaita ha-keshet ba'anan. The keshet, the rainbow, will be in the cloud. Uratiha, and I will see it. Lizkor brit olam, to remember the eternal covenant. Bein elokim ubein kol nefesh, chaya. Between Elohim and between all living flesh, 
Bechol basar asher ala aretz, all flesh which is on the earth. Now that is a strange formulation. What's strange about it? Because he has to remember, remember it before he puts the covenant, the sign in the sky. Um, I wasn't thinking of that, but that's interesting. Well, let's, we'll, 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 we'll try and work that out when we see Rashi's comment. He also doesn't seem to be saying, he says like it, as if it, it makes itself. When, when I happen upon, like when I find this, this rainbow, as if he, he didn't make it consciously. Yeah, well that, that's actually, I think, the other side of the same coin of the same question. What, who puts the Keshet there? Sounds like the Keshet's already there. You're, you're both right, I mean, Silly question, really. That's also an oddity in this pasuk. It's not the one I was thinking of. The first one the Rashi's going to... Is it the differentiation between living things that have a soul and things that are just flesh? Okay, that wasn't the one I was thinking of either. <laughs> but these are all good questions. Okay, silly question. What does Rashi deal with? Okay, um, I'll tell you what, I, what bothers me is the... Well, he, Hashem is talking in the first person. Um, throughout... Yud Gimel, Yud Dalad, Tet Vav. It's always in the first person. I have a covenant. I remember my covenant. And then in Tet Zion, the Uretiha, I will see it. And here it comes. Liskor Olam, Bein Elokim, Between Elokim, why doesn't he say between me? And he said that before. So that's what Rashi is bothered by, but not just the uh, slipping from the first person to the third person, but which third person name does Hashem ascribe to in this verse? It's the name Elohim. So it's the two things. Why is it Elohim? Whenever Elohim appears, there's a significance to the name Elohim. And number two, we can see clearly that the word Elohim is pushed to the fore in this verse, because Hashem could have easily said between me, Beini, but he didn't. He said Bein Elohim. So Rashi says... On the words, Bein Elohim Ubein Konefesh Chaya, Bein Midot Hadin Shalmala Ubein Eichem. Elohim, as we know, is Hashem as judge. It is the word that represents Hashem using the Midot of Midot Hadin, <coughs> the attribute of justice. And I think Rashi's actually responding to what I was pointing out. It's not between me. Rashi, it's not between me using the Midot Hadin. It's between some sort of abstract concept called Midat Hadin. It's as if Hashem is separating himself from Midat Hadin. That's what comes out in the verse, as I showed you, and that's what Rashi is saying. Not between me, but between the Midat Hadin, as if it's some sort of separate entity between you. Because, and here comes the point, that I've sort of been laboring, perhaps, because it could have written, but it didn't. It wrote between, but this is the Midrashic meaning, when the Midrash Adin comes to accuse, and some versions, like my version says, it comes to accuse you, to make you liable, Ani roe et haot venizkar. I see the sign and it is remembered. Interesting, he puts it in the uh, nifal. Now, so again, what he's saying is, uh, and I realize I was, I was laboring this too much because Rashi really makes it very explicit, very obvious. The fact that it says, Bein Elohim u Bein Eichem, sorry, Bein Elohim u Bein Konefesh Chaya, and it doesn't say Beini, implies that this entity which is Midat Hadim, 
And Rashi calls this a midrash, incidentally. And I find that very interesting. Very, very often, Rashi will bring a pshat and then a midrash. Or sometimes the other way around. Here, he just brings the midrash. Because, I suppose, the pshat is straightforward. The pshat is Elohim, is just another name for God. But the midrash is, it's when the midat hadin is accusing. Again, this is... We talk about Hashem acting through the Midrash Hadin. That's Hashem being strict. He's judging us. He's punishing us. But sometimes, um, less often, but here is an example, the Midrash Hadin is like the, uh, the, 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 the accuser. The Midrash Hadin is in the heavenly court acting as the accuser of us, pointing out all our sins, trying to get Hashem to judge us um, badly. So when that happens, when the Midrash Hadin comes to accuse, I see the sign, the nizkar, and it is remembered. Why does, he, why does Rashi translate to change lizkor uh, into nizkor? So the beginning of Tetzayin said, And I think the answer is because Hashem doesn't forget things. So we can't say that Hashem remembers as an active thing which implies that Hashem remembers having previously forgotten. We can't say that, because that can't be. But what we can say is, it is remembered. What's the difference? Why, what, what's the, there is a subtle difference. But there's a subtle, it doesn't mean that Hashem is the one who's forgotten, and now Hashem needs to actively remember. But rather, the ot, which represents the Brit, the Brit is now remembered. So the Brit was, as it were, wasn't like so prominent, and now it becomes more prominent. And it's prominent because Hashem sees the sign. And now the Brit is remembered. But Hashem, Rashi is divorcing that from the suggestion that Hashem himself actively, in a cull sense, remembers. Because that would imply that Hashem had been forgotten. Uh, sorry, Hashem had forgotten. But the, the Brit is remembered, which I understand as gets more prominence than it previously had, through the agency of seeing the ot. Yes. If we're saying that, which I think it is, the Keshet is more Midat HaRachamim more than Midat HaDin, correct? Um, yes, I suppose, I suppose we have to say that the Keshet is Midat HaRachamim, because obviously the Keshet is saying don't destroy, when the Midat HaDin is saying do destroy. Um, but in Yud Bet, the Brit of Keshet is using the words Elohim. Yes, and Rashi didn't say anything there. Um, in Yudbet, Vayome Elohim Zot Ot Habrit. So, um, I have a question, which I don't know the answer to, which is why, why, why does the Torah say Elohim? I can see now, and um, you know, because I was, <laughs> I keep apologizing for working so hard to get to this point, uh, explaining Tet Zion, but it's not, just the, it's not just the word Elohim. And Rashi himself says it's this Bein Elohim, Bein Konefesh Chaya, as opposed to Beini, that the word Elohim was introduced where it was not necessary. Whereas in Yud Bet, Vayoma Elohim, we need to know who the subject of Vayoma is. So we need a name of God. But Dafka, why does it say Elohim? And Rashi doesn't say anything there. I don't know. Okay? But you're quite right. It's a good question because uh, introducing the Brit and the, uh, and the... It doesn't introduce the Alt at that point. But introducing the Brit... Um, sorry, it does. Alt so, Brit, you're, right, you're quite right, is an expression of not destroying the world. So it sounds like more Midat Ha Rachamim. So why does it have the Lashon Elohim that I don't know? Have, have we often, don't we often use Elohim preparation in the I think all the days of the week in memory of Elohim? All the days of the week? All the days of the creation, excuse me. Like, ah, ah, okay. Is, is that, has UK Bakke been introduced? Yes, yes, yes. Um, 
No, sorry, that's in the second parak. In the first parak, it's just Elohim. But Rashi explains why. Um, in, the, in the end of his comment on Aleph Aleph, he explains that Elohim was plan A, that Hashem was going to rule the world through Midat Hadin, but it didn't work. So he introduced the Midat HaRachamim, and that's why in Perak Bet, it's Hashem Elohim. So my point is, there are often questions, but Rashi usually gives answers as to why one name is chosen over the other, and he doesn't here in Yudbet. But let's just finish off this section in Yud Zayim. Vayome Elohim El Noach Zot Ot Habret Asher Hakimoti. Elohim said to Noach, This is the sign of the Brit which I have established. Beini Uvein Kol Basar Asher Al Haaretz. Between me and between all flesh which is on the earth. So in this time he includes all flesh together without separating them up. What does Rashi say on the words Zot Ot Habrit? Says Rashi, Hara'ahu Hakeshet, he showed him the rainbow. Va'amarlo, and he said to him, Harei Ha'ot Sha'amarti, this is the Ot which I have talked about, of which I have said. Now, what is um, Rashi working on? Um, I think there is a key word. Um, which we darshan in a similar way in other places as well. And I think the key word is zot. And I'm reinforced by the fact that that's in Rashi's opening words. Zot ot habrit. What does zot mean? This. Ba'avur zeh. As we say um, uh, at the Haggadah. Um, you can only say ba'avur zeh when you've got matzah maram nuchim lefanecha. When you can point to something. And we say the same about the chatzis shekel or rather the full shekel, that Moshe didn't know what it looked like, and Hashem says, Zer, uh, and Rashi says there, he showed him what the shekel looked like, and what else did he show him what it looked like? Okay. Uh, I don't think so. Don't think so. That's a nice one, not an etrog. It's, no, no, no. All these things he would have been good candidates, but the Midrash says he showed him the menorah, what the menorah looked like, and it's the word Zer as well, I'm pretty sure. So Hashem says zot ot habrit, and uh, this implying that he's pointing to something. So Rashi says ohu hakeshet haot This is the ot which I have been talking about. Why doesn't Rashi say that he created a rainbow there and then? And the answer is in Pirkei Avot. When was the rainbow created? Yes. It was one of those ten things that was created just at the end of the six days, just before Shabbos. So uh, this is uh, an explanation given to these words of Rashi that the rainbow had already pre-existed. So Hashem can't make a rainbow because it's already there. But what he did was he showed him the pre-existent rainbow and said, look at it, this is the one I've been talking about. Yes? This might be a question of an hour why did God set the limit for, this, for restarting the world at one? Why didn't he... Why would he stop him... Like, if humanity was so bad that it was worthy of being destroyed once, why wouldn't he do it again? Um, why wouldn't Hashem destroy the world again? Very good question. Deep question. Yeah, yes, beyond the scope of this year. But let, let me just say... Uh, this is really inspired by Rav Hirsch, but I think this is a, a very uh, good reading of Perak Chet and Perak Tet. 
Um, the second world, which Rob Hirsch doesn't use this terminology, but is like World Mark II or World 2.0, um, had Rob Hirschman writing now, he probably called it World 2.0, runs on a different basis from World 1. Less is expected. Um, the Sheva Mitzvot Ben Enoch are about keeping the world going. No more than that. Don't muck it up. Don't go around killing people. But to reach new great heights, that's not part of Noah's um, task. Whose task is it? In World 2.0, the idea is one particular nation will have that special role. That's us. Well spotted. Okay? <laughs> yes, and we're going to get to that in the next Sedra, which is coming quite soon. Um, but in World 2.0, less is demanded of mankind, and therefore they are judged less harshly. So their job is to keep the world going in a sort of basic way. It's not going to... Hashem doesn't set the bar so high. And I think that matches up with, and I'm not going to destroy it. I'm not going to judge you to such a high standard, so I'm not going to punish you in such a harsh way. So World 1, we didn't need Jews, everyone would be... Yes, yes, World 1 was everyone was going to be on the level of Adam and Chava, but that didn't work. Okay? Anyway, um, there's much, much more to say on that, and I thought wise people have got much more to say on that. Okay, it's quite exciting because we have finished Hamishi, (coughs) and it's quite exciting because we now turn to a new section. Um, And, uh, you know... Maybe it's just me, but uh, I find Perichet and Pasuk Tet a little bit messy. There's lots of references to Brit, lots of references to what we've just been learning about, about rainbows. From now on, we're going a bit more on the straight and narrow. So, we have back to the narrative. Pasuk Yudchet, Vahiyu v'nei Noach, hayotzi'im min ha-teva, shem v'chom v'yefet. And there were the sons of Noach who came out of the teva, shem chom and yefet, v'chom hu avi kanan. And Chom was the father of Canaan. Okay, the question I think is pretty obvious. Why do we need to know that Chom is the father of Canaan? Now, by the way, he wasn't just the father of Canaan. He had other children, as we will learn about later. So it's not as if this was Noah's first Enochol, his first grandchild, Canaan Ahara. That's not what's going on here. So why do we need to be told that Chom is the father of Canaan? So let me just jump a little bit, because something bad is going to happen. What it is, how bad, we'll need Rashi for that. Um, but what the result is that in Pasuk um, Kafhei, we read that Noah gets cross about the bad thing that happened. And he says, Vayoma Arur Kanan, cursed will be Kanan. He'll be a servant of servants or a slave of slaves to his brothers. <coughs> and you might think, what's Kanan done? And that's a good question, because Canaan hasn't done anything. But now let's look at Rashi in Yud Chet. On the words, V'cham hu avi Canaan, Lama hutzrach lamarkein. Why did it need to say this? And those four words really, really do stand out as being, making you ask, why are we being told this? And the answer is, L'fi shaha parsha asoka, the parsha deals, uba, and will continue to deal, the shikrotol shal Noach, with Noach's drunkenness, shekilkal ba Ham, that Noach, sorry, that Ham damaged him. So Noach was drunk, Ham did something bad. And because of that, Canaan was cursed. So Ham does something bad to Noach. Noach wakes up from being drunk, 
and realizes, as the Pesach says, what Ham had done, and curses Canaan. Now, we've still got the question, why does Noah curse Canaan and he doesn't curse Ham? Okay, that's going to be a question. But without knowing that Canaan is the son of Ham, we wouldn't understand anything about why Noah curses Canaan. So Rashi says, that's why we need to be told it at this time. Because, we haven't yet been told the children of Ham, and we don't at this point know that Canaan was his son. And that's why it needs to say here, Ham was the father of Canaan. <coughs> Incidentally, I don't know why this Rashi is particularly wordy, and Rashi asks the same question, or Rashi asked the question at the beginning, and at the end say, and that's the answer to the same question, and repeats the question. And I find that interesting, but I don't know why he repeats the question. But anyway, the question is, why do we need to be told that Ham's the father of Canaan? And the answer is, to understand the story, we have to understand that Canaan is the son of Ham, otherwise we won't understand what's coming next. But if we say that Canaan didn't do anything, why can't we just say when we introduce him that he gets cursed, that he was um, the son of Ham? Like, why can't we just say it then? Um, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's a hard question to ask, because you can almost always say, well... Instead of doing it this way, why didn't it do it that way? But given that it didn't do it that way, it needs to do it this way. Okay? Now, Pasuk Kaf. I didn't think we were going to get to this, but we have... Oh, no, sorry, Yudtet. But there's no Russian Yudtet. Shalosha Eila B'nei Noach, Eila Naftza Kol Ha'aretz. These are the three sons of Noach, and from these spread out all the world, as we will see. Because in a little while, we're going to learn all about the 70 nations that came from these descendants of Noah. And we're going to learn about all their children and grandchildren. Now, but there's no rush on that one. Pasuk Kaf. V'yachel Noach ish adama v'yeta karem. So what does V'yachel Noach mean? Now what could it mean? Any ideas? Okay, it actually looks like the cow of Lahatchil, which we normally have in a hit pal sense. But it can mean he began. Noah began. But Rashi says it doesn't mean that. And Rashi brings a more Midrashic type answer. And he says, Asa atzmo chulin. He made himself into chulin. What is chulin? What do we mean by chul? Has it got to do with the word Yes. Like yes. Why is it a weekday a weekday? Because? Monday. Monday? Mundane. A mundane. Yes. <laughs> Monday being an example of a mundane day. <laughs> But it's more than mundane. What, what is the opposite of chulin? It's not holy. Okay, so the best translation of chulin is profane. That's perhaps a little bit more negative. We don't think a weekday is a profane day. Profane sounds very negative. But it means non-holy. That's what chol means. Related to halal, which means empty. It's emptied out of its holiness. So Rashi understands v'yachel noach as asa atmo Chulin. He made himself chulin. He made himself something profane. Shahaya lo la'asok techila benatia acheret. Because he should have started planting something else. What did he plant? He planted a vineyard. Now, we haven't got, well, we'll see if we have got time. Rashi, in the next, we haven't finished this Rashi. Um, at the last part of the Rashi on Pasuk Kaf, he said he could have planted something else, but he didn't. He started with the wine. Now, 
Let's understand this. Okay, I've got three minutes to talk about a very, very profound idea here. Um, so, simple, simple in terms of the uh, methodology of Rashi, Vayachel could have meant he began. It doesn't mean that, and the answer of why is probably because if it did mean he began, we don't need to be told it. Because if the Pasuk says he planted a vineyard, then obviously that's, that's the next thing he did. If you're a Pasuk um, cuffs, that comes after Pasuk Yotep, that's the next thing he did. He hasn't planted anything else beforehand, so it's obvious that's what he started to do. So Rashi says that's not what it means. It means something more midrashic, and it means that he made himself profane. What's wrong with wine? Is wine a good thing or a bad thing? Depends how you use it. Ah, depends how you use it. Okay, simple answer. That, that's the answer. Now, in Judaism, we use wine. We drink wine for Kiddush, and we drink wine at a wedding, and we drink wine for benching, and we drink wine all sorts of places. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in fact, we're enjoined to do it. Some of us choose to use grape juice, but um, uh, we certainly can use wine. And should somebody refrain from drinking any alcohol? No, that Judaism doesn't say that. What's the problem with Nach? The problem with Nach is he focuses on his Gashmias to the exclusion of anything else. It's the first thing that he does. So he's saying, I want wine, 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 and other things will come later, or maybe even not at all, but the best they'll come later. He's building a life for himself which rather than using wine as an aid to other things, revolves around wine. That is the antithesis of Kedusha. And that is why it's Chulim. So it's not saying that wine is bad, but when one's life becomes revolving around Gashmias, as exemplified by the idea of drinking alcohol, and in this case drinking it to excess and getting drunk, as he will in the next verse, that is not Kedusha. Kedusha is about limiting one's Gashmias. One's ensuring that Gashmias and Ruchnias are working in cohort. I mean, some would say Kedusha is about limiting Gashmias entirely. That's not necessarily the Jewish view. And that's, that's another discussion. But what is clear is that making your life revolve around wine as an example of extreme Gashmias to the exclusion of everything else, that is the antithesis of Kedusha. And that is why it's Cholin. And on that note, we will stop there. And in Yitzhak Shem next week, we'll carry on in Pasuk Kaf.